0: I offered to read the scripture this morning because I thought I would be least emotional, but... Um, yeah. Hear the word of the Lord from the teachings of Jesus and Luke's gospel starting in chapter 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now jump down to verse 27. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble." So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Will he rather say, prepare my supper and get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Once on being asked by the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God... The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go off running, off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying And being given in marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Peter. I'll be honest, I'm going to be a little emotional today of Eric's been a best friend of mine for four, five years, and yeah, but it's a good. One. Well, we're in Luke's gospel, and this isn't a passage about going to the nations today. We're we're just we're continuing to talk about Luke's gospel. But the amazing thing is, this passage is about the kingdom of God going out. And this is a tough passage, and I wanted to read it almost in in its entirety. We, we did skip one one little section we didn't read the whole thing, but that was intentional and I'll say why before I do that, I just want to say thanks to Eric and Sarah for the blessing they've been uh, This is a sad and happy week for me because of that and also Tim Keller uh, passed away and he's he's been very special to me i didn't think I'd be crying now uh. And 20, 25 years ago this month, I, I just thought about it, is when I started ministry. May of 1998, I took my first job at a local church. Um, you know, the youth director, they're like, here's the van keys, take them bowling, you know? <laughs> All right, you know what to do. Can you drive a white van? Do you love Jesus? Do you love children? Those are the three, three qualifications. And I praise God for that small, not really rural church, but kind of one of those suburban churches that's on the edge of the rural area. Still had some farmers in it. Still and then also had Delta Pilots as one of those churches. And I I thank God for that. And twenty years ago someone handed me a CD and they're like, You gotta listen to this pastor from New York. He's great. And I just been reflecting and thinking. And then I was, as a lot of people have been reflecting on Tim Keller and his, his death and his life, more his life. One guy said, I remember when I was in seminary and he came and talked to us. And he's like, if you guys don't, let me just tell you how to preach. Read the text, point one, point two, gospel application. He's like, if you just do that, you're going to be okay. Don't make it more complicated than that. And the amazing thing is, that's... Kind of been the model that I've taken. I didn't know he said that, but that's been part of. I'm thankful for his his style of preaching. When I grew up, I grew up in more of a Southern church. It was a little more, you know, I don't know what you call it, a little a little more yelling uh, than than my style. I'm a teacher at heart. That's why I have I don't have a handout today because this passage was super long and lots of trees would have died in the process of me handing you this passage, but. I want to just be faithful to this text this morning. There's five sections that we looked at. I want us to answer these questions. What did these teachings mean to the original audience? What is Luke showing us, and his, showing us and his original readers? So there's the original audience, the people that Jesus is speaking to at that moment. Then there's Luke, who's recounting these events, not in chronological order, but in theological order, putting them together so that we have a clear account of who Jesus is and the ways that, that the Holy Spirit was directing him to, to show us about the teachings of Jesus so we could grow from him. So what is Luke showing us and his original readers about Jesus in this gospel, and the, and the gospel in general, and how do we apply these to our lives? So let's dive in. So this section, like I said, is, is part of a bigger section that some scholars call the journey to Jerusalem. So we've been going through Luke's gospel for about, we're on like month five now. And in chapter nine, verse 51 through chapter 19, verse 49, it's it's this journey to Jerusalem where Jesus is teaching. He's sharing parables. He's healing. He's loving people. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching crowds. And he's continually encountering the Pharisees and rebuking them. Rebuking them in love he wants them to turn to the truth of this good news that he's come to proclaim, that he would say was always there. It was in the law, and it was in the prophets. Then we get to a point in the story where Pastor Lawrence preached on last week about the shrewd manager and this parable, and then after that, he says, you know, don't love money, love God. And then we get these series of events that we just, was just read. So Luke has intention in, in this. It's not random. He didn't just throw in that little section. He wants us to see Jesus and he wants it to penetrate our hearts and change us so that we can see what this new kingdom is that Jesus came to bring and, and how we're called to be a part of it. This section is almost exclusive to Luke. Only the, the passage about divorce The judgment on Sodom and the judgment on Noah, the passage talking about those two, are in other gospels, in either Matthew, Mark, or John. Everything else in this section is only Luke records. So we want to take it seriously and and look at it as we're preaching through the whole Bible. Let's start off with Luke 16 16. It says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. So the first statement he makes is the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So kind of saying the end of the Old Testament period. The end of the Old Covenant is with John the Baptist. Then he says since the time the, since that time, since this declaration by John the Baptist the good news, the gospel good news and gospel are the same word good news is a English translation gospel is, it's just evangelion it's a Greek word that just means um, good news. Normally it's It's when a king is announcing a victory or when something, announcing a a royal proclamation. That's the word good news, gospel. So he says from that time on, the kingdom of the gospel or the good news is being preached. That's the second point. The third one is very interesting and everyone is forcing their way into it. Literally kind of the the text means using violence to get into it, like wanting to get into this thing in a very strong way. Then he goes on and says, it's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of the pen to drop out of the law. So he's talking about that the Old Testament, even though Jesus, the new covenant of Jesus is a continuation of the Old Testament, but also brings, us, brings it all into fulfillment, that it also was there as part of God's plan and then he has this random statement: anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. It's it's it doesn't fit, right? But it does fit, because the Bible's perfect, and Luke put it there on purpose. And that's that's the text that we're at right now. So on the divorce one, I, I just want to say Luke puts it there because the Pharisees struggled with this one. They treated women very badly, and a man could get divorced almost for anything. I didn't like the meal you cooked or whatever. And women were under a tight bondage. It's probably that that he's addressing. We don't know for sure. It's something linked to the Pharisees. And it's also trying to show that the moral law of the Old Testament still stands, but we see it through the gospel and through Jesus. So I'm not, this isn't a, I I, I can't go much deeper than that, but I do want to say that there, there, this is there on purpose to to continue the flow of, of what Luke's trying to show us. All right, I'm going to, just to help us out, because this is complex, I'm going to put up a quote by New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, just to, just to explain this section to set us up for the rest of today's teaching. He says this, uh, he sees the law and the prophets, Jesus sees the law and the prophets, meaning the books we call the Old Testament, is taking their place in a sequence of events within God's plan. They are not God's last words. They hold sway until the time of John the Baptist, after which God's kingdom has been coming in a new way. Something fresh is happening here, where Jesus is. But this doesn't mean that the law and the prophets were wrong or now irrelevant. They remain fixed and unalterable. They are true signposts to what God is going to do, even though they cannot themselves bring the the new day, the new world that God is creating through Jesus. When, therefore, God does what he intends to do through Jesus, the law and the prophets will look on in approval, even though they couldn't have done it by themselves. That's, that is part of the point of the next parable in the chapter. And then it goes on. Jesus' point in, in 16 and 17 is that the kingdom arrival, kingdom's arrival represents the culmination of the law's function. Values and morals are determined by the kingdom's presence Jesus' preaching and teaching are part of the kingdom program and thus reflect God's will. The Pharisees' response including their scoffing does not lead one to God. But Jesus does lead one to God. So how do we have so I talked about this is what it meant in the original context. So they would have heard it and Jesus is just telling them hey guys I'm not here to wipe out the Old Testament at the same time You've been reading it wrong in, it, in some ways, but also it's being fulfilled right now as we speak. The promises in Genesis, the promises in Deuteronomy, the promises in Isaiah, the promises in Daniel and Ezekiel are being fulfilled in me. Yes, you wanted a military leader. Yes, you wanted someone who probably looked a lot more like the Ro- a Roman emperor to come in and destroy everybody and, and bring back... A Solomon-like kingdom, but that's not what the kingdom is about. So Jesus is not saying, let's get rid of the Old Testament. He's just saying, you've been reading it wrong, and I'm trying to point you in a new way to show you what the kingdom really is about. It's not a kingdom of military might. It's a kingdom of changed hearts. It's a kingdom of loving one another. It's a kingdom of showing God's grace and truth. So that's that's kind of why Luke puts this here. Uh, the next section can seem very strange. It's a, it's a tough parable. It's actually a parable. We'll put it up. It Says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linens, uh, in luxury lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar named Lazarus. This isn't the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. The raised from the dead. This is an actual just a, a common name. Uh, this guy was. Uh, a beggar, and he was covered with sores, uh, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus is painting a very vivid picture: the richest guy you can imagine and the poorest outcast you can imagine in the same space. Next, the the parable goes on, and they both die. Lazarus dies, and the man dies, and uh, Lazarus is being is in the place. It's, it's a Greek word, it's not actually the word hell, but it's, it's the idea of the place that's not part of God's, that's, that's separate and distant from God. And here's, here's what uh, the rich man says. It's this dialogue. Again, this is a parable. Jesus is doing this to teach us. He says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Send this dead beggar back. I have five brothers. Let, let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment, And then this is Abraham replied. They had Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus's own resurrection. But it's also just saying that this is the state of the heart of these people. So what can we learn from this? What did this passage mean to its original audience? Well, one thing is this is a parallel passage with the shrewd manager passage. So it's about money and wealth. He's, he's continuing that teaching that you can't serve two masters. And the Pharisees, many of them, wanted to serve money. They were in it for the money. And Jesus is just exposing them and saying, turn to God. Don't put your trust in money another thing about this is it's a parable Jesus is and Jesus is not addressing the sincere and earnest Pharisees who are genuinely trying to serve God he's addressing the ones who have evil, greedy, and selfish intents in mind so remember that as, as you're reading this this would be, this is, this is the context of it, what is Luke showing us? I think he's showing us that you can't serve God of money and that there is going to be a judgment and it's real Jesus talks a lot about money, and he talks a lot about a judgment. So if we don't talk about it here, we're doing you a disservice. He says, don't love money and flee from this coming judgment. Again, this is a parable, not a systematic theology teaching on hell. But as Lawrence and I were talking this week, and and Pastor Peter, we, we realized that we probably want to dig a little deeper into this parable, so we're going to do a podcast on it. Just to get a chance to have a a deeper dialogue on this particular parable and talk a little more about this judgment. So, I'm not going to do it here. But I do want you to remember this the judgment is so bad that a rich man who had everything before he died is begging, the word begging, a poor, disabled, outcast beggar to warn his family of the judgment. So, I'll leave it with that. So, how do we apply, apply this to our lives? Take Jesus' warning seriously. There is a judgment, and it's real. Jesus came to warn us that we can choose freedom in him and be saved from this judgment. The next section includes three sayings and another parable. Um, sorry, my notes got it. it. says, Jesus says to his disciples, things cause people to stumble or bound to come, but woe to anyone who, to whom they come. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Then he goes on, he says, if a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And uh, if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back and saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So you see the dueling contrast stories here. So the first story is the first example Jesus gives the teaching is he says, Don't be someone who causes people to stumble into sin. And he, he uses the term little ones, and this can mean literally children, but it can also mean those who are marginalized, those who are feel outside, those who feel separated, like and the Pharisees were doing that. They were they didn't have an open kingdom. They didn't they weren't doing what was required of them by the law and the prophets. They kept it closed and they were causing other people to sin by adding to God's word. So you, you see, you see that's, so the first one is Jesus is like, don't do that. The second one, and he uses this hyperbole, like thrown a big stone. Millstone is the giant stone that grinds mill. So it's, it's, I don't know, a couple thousand pounds or so it's, a, it's an extreme example. And then the second one is keep forgiving people. So Jesus uses hyperbole for both situations and he, and Luke puts these two teachings together here. To show us something. That it's as disciples of Jesus, we're responsible for those who are under our care. We're responsible for caring for people, loving people. But when we make mistakes in that responsibility, we need to forgive each other. You see the contrast of the two? As you, let's say you're a little more spiritually mature, as you're helping someone else, you're gonna make mistakes, they're gonna make mistakes. So it's a kingdom of of truth, and it's a kingdom of really honoring God and trying to seek him and be holy. It's also a kingdom of forgiveness, because we're going to make mistakes. You see how Luke puts these two together to to give us a a comprehensive teaching? Jesus expects us to show mercy, but he also expects us to pursue holiness and and to teach others in this holiness. So how do we apply these teachings to our lives? Live in humility. Seek God and love others. And forgive. Right after this, this is amazing. I love this. The disciples hear this, and then what do they say? This is one of my favorite passages in Luke. The apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Interesting here, Luke calls them apostles, not disciples. So there's a a little wordplay here. Increase our faith. It's okay if that's your cry a lot. It's okay. Totally fine. You can cry out to God a lot. You can hear something that you're just like, I can't do it. Just say, God, increase my faith. There's the faith that saved you, but then there's the faith that keeps sustaining us. And they're both part of the good news. Jesus says, you know, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed... I don't know what a mustard seed looks like. I'm not a farmer. You know, I don't know what a mulberry tree. Mulberry sounds very like middle America, not not Bible times. But, you know, uh, I don't know what either of those would look like in the wild. But I do know that a little seed is small and the tree is great. Um, and Jesus is trying to show that just a small amount of faith he's going to honor. Going to keep going. He, keep, he says, Suppose one of you have a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Uh, and he, he tells this story. I'm not going to read it again because we just read it. Um, he, he talks about unworthy servants and we've only done our duty. And I think what God's doing here is, is just what Luke is doing. It's just trying to continue this theme that we need to trust God, and we need to follow Him. So Diane Chen, she's a New Testament scholar. she sums up this whole section, and this, this is what I want you to remember, this summary. She says, "While Jesus speaks of God's immense grace and mercy, he cautions His disciples not to take for granted, not to take God for granted. Obedience to God is first and foremost, a duty because of God's honor." And supremacy. So like the last section here, she's, she's kind of showing how, this, this quote is showing how Luke's tying all three together. All three of these things, including the middle part where the disciples say, increase our faith. The next parable is 10 men with leprosy. I'm, if you guys are not familiar, leprosy is just a, a skin disease. Generally, it's been eradicated. It still exists in some parts of the world. But people with leprosy were cast outside of the village so that they wouldn't, if you touch someone with it, it could spread to others. Uh, They were outcasts. They were considered outside of the religious community. And there's 10 men with leprosy. This is not a parable. This is a historical account. They all come to Jesus. He heals them all. But only one comes back and asks and says, thank you. And that man was a Samaritan. So he wasn't even technically allowed to go to the temple. So Jesus heals them and he says, go present yourself at the temple that you've been healed. That's what you were called to do in the, in the religious law. And nine of them do that and one comes back to him. And Jesus commends that man. So what do these teachings mean to the original audience? First thing, they were instantly healed. Because to be able to be a leper and then go present yourself at the temple means that all the swords were gone. So Jesus heals all 10 of them. The second thing um, is that it reads like a parable, but it's not a parable. It's, it actually happened. What is Luke showing his original readers and showing us? I think he's showing us that many people will beg God for a blessing and a favor. Have you ever done that? I do. It's okay. It's okay to cry out to God and beg him for healing. It's okay. It's, we're, we're, it's, we're allowed to do it. But when they get the favor, the blessing, the healing, they move on and forget to praise God. Thanks, God. I'll take it from here. I got this. You got me here, but I, now, now I, I can do it on my own strength. This is basically the pattern of the Old Testament. Remember when we looked at Joshua Judges? What did they do? Oh, God, these foreign armies are invading us. Please help us. He helps them, right? Defeats, they have a small army. The other army, he defeats them in a mighty way. Thank you, God. Lasts like a couple months, a couple years. Back to the same cycle again. We'll take it from here. We'll do, we'll, we'll take matters in our own hands. We don't need you, God. We don't need to worship you. We don't need to honor you with our lives. We want to do it our way. That's the human pattern. And Jesus is just showing that when you receive blessing, you should come with faith. To receive when you need something come with faith and when God answers it in the way and the timing have gratitude be thankful have a heart of faith and gratitude praise God that you're forgiven but how how are you going to do that go out and forgive others praise God that you're loved go out and love others praise God that you're healed go out and be part of the healing process for others. That's what the kingdom is. When you keep looking at Jesus' example, that's what he's showing. Praise God, you've been blessed. Praise God, go out and bless others. So this story here is not a parable, but it just shows that this Samaritan, who were the hated group, the Samaritans were the ones who were kind of outside anyway. The Samaritan's the only one who comes back and really gets it. That's intentional too. Luke's trying to show something, that this kingdom is, is not a kingdom of ethnicity, It's a kingdom that's going out, and it's a kingdom of turning to God and turning your heart and your mind and your dedication to him and letting him rework who you are. Final statement, final section in this chapter, in this section, the coming of the kingdom of God. This starts on verse 20. It says, Once being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. How many of you grew up with the King James? Any uh, any King James folks? My grandfather actually used to pray in King James English. Like He talked in kind of a New York accent most of the time, and then when we prayed, he switched to you know 17th century britain i don't i don't know how he grew up pentecostal too so he didn't like grow up anglican or something but he would have a lot of thous and these and thighs. and you know we as a little kid i thought it was really funny you know cuz i never heard you know he was a simple guy you know i never heard him talk like that but in the original king james what did this one say it says the kingdom of god is within you and that that means a lot to a lot of people so when they changed it and the reason why we changed it is as we dug a little deeper into the original manuscripts in the Greek language, we realized probably a better translation is in your midst, or like right there, like kind of Jesus is there, or even in your grasp. But I think because all three have been used in history, it's, it's okay to think of all three, but if you have one without the other, they might, it might be incomplete. So the kingdom of God is part of you, and you're part of it, but it's bigger than that. It's the kingdom of God is, like, with you, but it's 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 in your midst, meaning Jesus is there, but we're also part of Jesus, and it's in your grasp. It's something that you should, you should grasp for. And I think this parallels with the earlier passage where it's like some people are violently trying to get in there. So you should be violently grasping for the kingdom of God. If you saw a, a child about to get hit by the bus, you're going to violently knock that child over. You would never just plow a... a a person unless you saw they were headed for destruction. And then you're going to, you're going to use something. You're going to use drastic measures. So there's something about this grasping that I want us to, to remember that it's in our midst and it's something to be grasping. It's something to, to, to hold on to. It's here. The kingdom of God is here with Jesus. The kingdom of God is a place. The kingdom of God is a status. The kingdom of God is a person. Jesus. The covenant God promised Jesus. This is the Old Testament. Jesus came and lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended. Any of you notice that there was a cloth up there from Easter Sunday until Thursday? Because Thursday is 40 days after Easter Sunday and we took it down. Just as a, a physical reminder of that Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. And when you see an empty cross every Sunday from now until until Lent that cross will be empty and the empty cross is a reminder that right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father reigning even though it may not feel like that for some of you you may feel like my life life is hard I, it doesn't seem like Jesus is reigning but he is he's on the cross reigning but he's not only reigning it says he sent his spirit Pentecost Sunday which is actually next week he gave us the church and he gave us his word. We, all three of those are with us right now. The spirit, the church, and the word. And then he's returning. So when someone asks me, what's the gospel? I just say all those things. It's a long sentence. But it's from the Genesis to Revelation. That's the good news. And Jesus is part of all of it. What did these teachings mean to the original audience? He answered their question. Hey, I'm here. You don't need to look anymore. But it's going to be a little more complicated than you think because you're looking in the wrong places. But it's okay because I'm here. And it's interesting that a lot of the poor beggars get it, the Samaritan guy gets it, and some of the religious people who have been studying the text their whole life miss it. What is Luke showing us? The kingdom of God is here. Next, the next section is kind of weird. I'll be honest. It's one of the apocalypses of the Bible. You guys like that word apocalypse? It was like when I was growing up, man, there was a lot of apocalypse stuff. 70s, 80s, books, Christian books, outside. I mean, it was like the end of the world. But then even it kind of came back like zombie apocalypses and comets hitting the earth. One day I watched, I went to see a movie maybe 10 years ago and every preview was about some kind of thing with the world ends and then they have no technology and they're riding around on horses or whatever, you know, like I was like, wow, you know. But this is a real apocalypse story, and and, and by these, it just means a moment in history when God makes a severe judgment on humanity, whether a small part of humanity, like a kingdom, like Babylon or something, or a bigger picture. Jesus says this, he says, he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day of the Son of Man, and by using the Son of Man language, he's referring to Daniel, which the second half of Daniel, not the lion's den part, the other part, is one of these predictions of the day of the Lord. And he says, but you will, you will not see it. And then he goes on and he's like, people, it's here or there, for the son of man will be like lightning that flashes in the sky. For he, Verse 25, it says, for he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This literature is a little cryptic, and that's okay. That's going along with Daniel and Ezekiel and other apocalyptic literature. He's using symbolism to describe something it's not to be taken literal it's to be look at its symbolism and see what what is Jesus trying to teach us he goes on to talk about the day when the world that god destroyed a group of people at the time of noah he destroyed a group a city at the time of lot and then he goes on in verse 30 it'll just be it'll be like this on the day the son of man is revealed on that day no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back and get everything. And remember, he's been talking about money and possessions and what's really important. So I think the original audience would probably get this story a little better than we do. Some people have taken this to talk about, like, the rapture or a version of tribulation uh, theology in Revelation, but... I think the, the actual point here is Jesus is just trying to, Luke is, is putting it here to show a final warning, that there is a judgment and all these other promises of mercy and grace and forgiveness that he talked about earlier all come together and and, and we have to be careful to to think about the fact that Jesus came and he came in power and he, he his kingdom is a kingdom of love and it's a kingdom of grace, but it's also there is a judgment and there. God has to punish evil. He will punish evil. He will punish sin. But he's bringing people into this kingdom so that they can experience his love and grace. And this this is what's going on in the text. I'd love to skip over this. It would have been great. We just jump ahead to some some easier stories. But I'm going to leave us with just some final assessments of, of what I feel like if Luke... If I had a conversation with Luke, I think he would say, "Teach, remind people. This is what this whole account. I'm going to summarize it. So this is going to be up on the screen. So I want you guys to reflect on on what's up there. First thing, the Old Testament's good, and all its covenant promises are coming true in Jesus and the new kingdom that He came to, in the new kingdom that He came to bring. And I put exclamation points on there for you younger folks who like text." 'Cause I learned about putting periods and, and blanks or whatever. So I wanted to like do it, you know, like boom, you know, there it is. So this is for the under thirty ish crowd. If you're over thirty, don't worry, periods on the text are fine. Alright. When you do the, the chat thing, right, when you talk to your thing, it puts a period at the end of it. So I like to talk in my text, so if some of you are offended by my periods at the end, don't be I'm just using talk to text. So But back to the more important thing. Let's let's go back to this. The Old Testament is good, and all its covenant covenant promises are coming true in Jesus, the new kingdom he came to bring. Pay attention to the warnings of Jesus. Live in humility, seeking God and loving others and forgiving others and asking God to increase your faith in the process. Have a heart of faith and gratitude. Live in the reality that the kingdom of God is here. It's in our midst. And forcefully grasp for it and keep grasping. Okay? Keep grasping. And finally, this isn't in this text, but this is kind of what comes next in Luke and Acts. And we can do all this because Jesus left us with his church, his word, and his spirit. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, for Luke's gospel. I thank you for a gospel that shows the love, the mercy, the grace of Jesus. That in all things, you came to save broken people. You came to make the world new, to make a broken world whole. And we get to be part of that. Because of the love and the mercy of Jesus. And his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. His ascension, his reigning, his pouring out of his spirit and his coming again one day. God, all of this is true. I pray for each person here. I don't know how they received this message. I don't know if one, it just went in one ear or the other. God, but I pray that all of us would grasp you, grasp your kingdom and know that you will spare us from a judgment because you love us and you will deal with evil. You you will deal with the pain and the brokenness of this world but you will also simultaneously save us in mercy and grace as we trust you. God, may we all trust you and may we all grasp your kingdom and receive it as the free gift that you've offered it to us. And I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.